Welcome back to session three. Today we are in Jonah chapter three. And in our last session, we noted that after spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, God, at the end of chapter two, God actually commanded the fish to vomit Jonah back onto land, which in itself is a, you know, it's a whole new sermon because I'm thinking like, like even the biggest, baddest creature in every sea or every river is obedient to God's instruction and falls to attention when God calls them. Anyway, uh, when we meet Jonah in chapter three, literally he's he's still dripping from the guts of the fish. He was just swallowed by it and he's cleaning. He's cleaning himself out and, and he hears God's call again in Jonah chapter three. First two verses, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. So um, before we jump into this chapter, let me give you, as I have the last two sessions, let me give you the big idea up front that's going to summarize everything we're going to talk about and that'll guide our discussion. Um, and it's this, that God is still at work, even in the most unlikeliest of places. God is at work, even in the most unlikeliest and even in the most unlikely of places. So um, if there is a person in your life or a group of people that you have concluded God can never save those people, either because they're so wicked or, or so evil or perhaps so stubborn, um, understand that God is in the resurrection business. And God does some of his best work with people that many of us may have written off as unusable. In fact, in today's message, we're going to talk about three things that God does with the most unlikely people. I'll give them to you now and then we'll spend our time working through each one of them. The first one is this, is that God uses unlikely people. The second one is that God saves unlikely people. And the third one is that God is still looking for the most unlikely person to use for his purposes. So that's where we're going to go today, starting with number one, uh, that God uses the most unlikely people. So uh, Jonah chapter three opens up by telling us that um, God calls Jonah a second time to go on the same missionary assignment that God sent him on in chapter one. Now, um, I have read through the entire book of Jonah. I've studied it, so I, I know a little bit what's going on here. I've read ahead of you, so I, I can tell you a few things, uh, especially this, that um, Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites has not changed. Right. Like, like even though we're in chapter three, Jonah's heart towards the Ninevites has not really changed. In fact, we're going to find out in the next session that Jonah still wants God to destroy the Ninevites, even though he was just asking for God's forgiveness one chapter earlier. And so that makes you wonder, why is God, why is God still choosing to use Jonah for this assignment? I mean, this guy doesn't want to do it. He's reluctant. He ran away from God. It took a fish to bring him back to his assignment. I mean, there are other prophets in Israel. Why, why doesn't God use those other people? Why does he, why does he, I mean, Jonah is the least likely candidate that anyone would call for a missionary. So why does God keep using him? Well, let me share with you a Bible verse 
that I hope you will memorize and remember, perhaps write it in your notebook or just write it down so you don't forget. But it's Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It says this, that for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You know, the word irrevocable means that God will not take back from you what he has given you or called you to do. So God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable, right? So, so that's good news, right? It means that what God gives you, he gives it to you to be yours. He blesses you with it. But listen, if you are disobedient or you are rebellious, your actions may create a delay that, that, that'll put you through unnecessary pain. But understand this, that God will finish the good work he's begun in you. He doesn't just take back. The reason why he keeps calling Jonah is because this calling was what God designed Jonah for. And it's the mission that God had in heart to accomplish. And so remember that even with the most stubborn prophets, God's will will still be done. And that's because God is at work even in the unlikeliest places. And he will often use the most unlikely people like Jonah, like you and I, to accomplish his will. And that brings us to the second point, that God not only uses the most unlikely people, but God sometimes chooses to save the most unlikely people. Look at verse 3 to 9. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Finally, right? He disobeyed chapter one, but now he's going. Now it goes on to tell us in verse three that now Nineveh was a very large city. In fact, it took three days to go through it. Verse four, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But the Ninevites believed God. In fact, a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is a way of showing that you're repentant. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in dust. That's another way of showing that you're repentant. This is the proclamation the king issued in Nineveh. He says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animal, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways. Let them give up their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know, uh, what I just read to you right now is perhaps the greatest spiritual revival in history, period. Like, like the Ninevites, are, they are the most unlikely people anyone would have ever expected to get saved. I was thinking about this. You, you, you know how shocking this is? This is just as shocking as if you in Nigeria were to wake up tomorrow morning and you were to suddenly read in every newspaper, every internet news outlet, every news network, if you were to suddenly read that all of Boko Haram and all Fulani herdsmen have laid down their weapons and turned to faith in Jesus Christ because of a sermon they heard last night. That's how shocking the Ninevites' repentance is. And by the way, that's my prayer for 
Boko Haram and Fulani, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They would lay down their weapons and turn to God, but that's a whole other sermon. The point here is this, that, that remember who the Ninevites are. They are the capital city of the most powerful people and notorious empire in their time. They were wicked. They were evil. They were experts in bloody butchery. The book of Nahum describes them as a faithless city full of deadly charms, full of witchcraft. Like these are, but these are not the people that you would pick on a list and go, yeah, they're going to turn to God. Yet, as a result of Jonah's very short sermon, almost immediately, the Bible tells us that a spirit of repentance descends upon the whole city and spread like wildfire from the greatest to the least person in the whole city, even reaching the king. Verse 6 says, when Jonah's warning reached the king, he took off his robe, he, he fell down in repentance, and he declared a national fast. Literally, the king is like, listen, everybody, like, like everybody, call on God to forgive us for our sins, to be merciful. Verse 8 says that even the animals, even the animals were required to fast. You know, just in case, you know, it's the goat's fault that we're in this mess. So how is it? How is it and, and why is it that a place that was so spiritually dark and could, could so quickly, how is it that they could so quickly and so immediately repent of their sin and turn to God after one short sermon? Well, the answer is simple. The answer is simple because the gospel of Jesus Christ shines brightest in the most spiritually darkest of places. The gospel of Jesus Christ shines brightest in the darkest of places. In fact, that's our big idea for today's session, which is that God is always on the move, working through his spirit, even in the unlikeliest and darkest of places. The reason why the Ninevites so quickly and so immediately responded um, to Jonah's preaching is because the spirit of God had already been working in the city of Nineveh, before Jonah ever got on a boat, before Jonah got swallowed by a fish, before Jonah even preached, the Spirit of God had already possibly been working, stirring up the hearts of the men in Nineveh, so that when Jonah came and he preached, the Spirit of them, which had caused their hearts to be open, was receptive to the gospel. In fact, John chapter 6, Jesus says later on in the New Testament, in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, no man or woman or child can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them near. In other words, by the time somebody falls to their knees in repentance before God, you can be rest assured that God had already been working on their hearts long before you came here to share the gospel. You know, there's this joke, uh, there's this saying where people, you know, say that um, it takes about seven people to share the gospel with one person uh, before they come to faith in Christ. It takes about seven encounters with a Christian before a non-Christian comes to Christ, which is funny because the first person who shares the gospel with that non-believer thinks that, oh, I didn't do anything because they didn't get saved. But then the seventh person thinks, oh, I did everything because they got saved. 
When in reality, long before you got on the scene to tell him about Jesus, God, because he is a God of compassion who desires to draw people to himself, had already been working behind the scenes to draw them to himself. I mean, picture it this way. Um, if I were to turn the light off in this room now, it would suddenly get dark. Like you can't see me. Right? And, 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 and you can't see me. It feels scary. It feels hopeless. I mean, imagine an entire city living in this darkness. But what you don't know is that even in this darkness, the spirit of God is working. He's lighting a match. He's lighting a flame. Even, even the faintest light of the gospel would begin to dispel the heavy darkness. That's a beautiful thing. And that's why we pray. We pray for people who are far from God. We pray before we go tell them about Jesus. We pray when we're telling them about Jesus. And we pray after we've left them when we told them about Jesus. We pray that the Spirit of God would draw them to faith in Christ so that when we tell them about Jesus, God's already gone ahead of us to work on their hearts. And that brings us to the third and final point, which is that God not only uses the most unlikely people, God not only saves the most unlikely people, but even now, even today, God is still looking for the most unlikely person to use for his purposes. I think the high point of the book of Jonah is really in chapter three, at the end of chapter three, where it says, when God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, it says God relented and God did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I mean, this is good news. This is just beautiful news, right? Now, it's important to let you know something um, that something completely unexpected happened um, one generation after this event in the book of Jonah. Um, around 40 years, because 30 to 40 years is about the length of a generation. Approximately 40 years after Nineveh responded in repentance to Jonah's sermon, history tells us that the people of Nineveh actually went back to their evil ways and in fact actually attacked Israel and took Israel captive. And so this may leave you scratching your head wondering, wait, di didn't revival happen? Like, like, didn't they just all fall on their knees and repent? How are they back to evil again? So, so here, like, like, here's the simple answer to this. Um, that blessing of revival in the book of Jonah was for that generation. Um, what happened during the time of Jonah was Nineveh's great moment, and that generation during that time responded to God's call. That was who God called Jonah to, to that generation. In fact, in every generation, God is always searching. God is always looking for people, young and old, whose heart is hungry for him. Um, um, God is looking for people through whom he can show his power through. Don't worry about the future generation. Right now, in your generation, is your heart open to God? Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And so when we look at the city of Nineveh and we see one man's preaching that causes a revival, it makes me pray out loud and thank God, is there someone in our generation? Are there students in our generation whom you, oh God, would use just as mightily as you use Jonah? So as we wrap up this session, I, I want to pray um, for you and, and with you. In fact, I'm going to ask that you just repeat after me. 
Would you pray this? Would you, would you bow your heads and would you pray? Would you say, Lord Jesus, use me in my generation. Use me, oh God, as your mighty voice to my generation. Jesus, pour out your spirit over the nation of Nigeria and allow a spirit of godly repentance to fill this land. Jesus, turn the hearts of our leaders to you and change the hearts of even the most wicked people. Turn their hearts so that they fall on their knees and turn by faith to Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, do in my generation what you've done in history. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. See you in session four.